All right. You can go and take a seat. And take a seat as you guys finish up conversation. Uh, yeah, like Raphael said, uh, next week we are going to have a cookout out here. So hot dogs and chips and drinks and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be like a, think of it as like a family cookout, right? So if you guys already have lunch plans, this, consider this maybe dad's pre-lunch. All right, so one of my favorite meals of the day is second dinner. I don't know if you guys like second dinner. 10 p.m. is like my favorite meal of the day. Uh, so uh, this is pre-lunch before you go to lunch, before you have pre-dinner and post-dinner. Uh, this is, uh, we'll, we'll do that for you. So uh, it's just honestly, it's a great time to, to hang out. Um, well, so a couple of uh, things, or one thing really to put on your radar. Tomorrow, uh, things kind of open up in California, right? So on June 15th, so... Um, what that means for us as a church going forward, and here's, can I just be totally honest with you? This last year and a half has been, any guys that have been in any sort of leadership, whether you own a, 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 a company or you're a teacher or you're an office manager, any sort of where you have to make some kind of decisions around everything that's happened in the last year and a half uh, to create the cultures that you're a part of, you know that no matter what you say uh, or don't say, it'll be divisive. Right? No matter what you do or don't do, there's going to be people that think you did too much and people that think you did, didn't do enough. And so here's clarity on what we're going to do going forward. And I know there's some, some people that, that are frustrated over here, and there's people that are getting frustrated over here, and it, it is what it is. Uh, so anyway, so what we're doing going forward is uh, we're going to say, we're going to follow our, our state's mandates. And so what we're going to say is if you are vaccinated indoors, we, you can be unmasked, Right? Um, now, we're not going to check vaccine cards at the door. That's between, you know, that's whatever you want to do. Uh, also, uh, what we're saying uh, going forward is we look at articles today is that uh, they're not mandating masks for children indoors. Uh, so we are, are not either. Uh, but we are going to ask out of care for others that if you are not vaccinated for whatever reason, that you continue to wear uh, a mask, especially if you're volunteering with the kids. Um, and the, honestly, that's on the honor system. That's between uh, you and God and the CDC. So, uh, <laughs> and, and really, for us, we just want to care for care for people. And, and here, and here's a weird thing. I, I get. It. I hate wearing masks. I get it. Uh, and it's weird because it's like today we're wearing masks. Tomorrow we don't have to. And you're like, what's? I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> Does COVID stop tonight at midnight? It's like, okay, you had a good run. You know, game's over. I don't. I don't get it. Um, and we're obviously one of the last states, if not the last state. Uh, to move forward. Now, we said at the beginning of this thing that we're going to lead with care and concern and love for others. And that means that we as a church are not going to, we told you from the beginning, we're, gonna be, we're not going to be the first church to open up. Most likely, we're going to be one of the last churches uh, to open up as far as indoor services. And so uh, we're trying, guys. And I know some of you guys are frustrated with us because we, either side of the stance uh, we're trying to take, but just hear our hearts. We're trying our best to follow God. We're trying our best to, on the other side of this thing that God says, man, you represented my heart well, right? And so anyways, today's going to be an interesting message, all right, just so you know off the top, because um, it's not going to be super funny, right? So you're going to see the tone shift as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke over the past year and a half now, right? You're going to see the tone shift because now they're heading to Jerusalem during Passover. This is uh, what you would typically preach on this passage for Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And so the tone shifts, right? It has a lot of implications for us as Christ followers. And so we're going to try to ferret some of those ideas out. You guys ever say ferret out? Is that like a normal thing to say? No? You know what's so weird is I say that. And there was actually, I kid you not. So before, I don't know if you guys are into cars, 
but there was a big car show uh, right before church this morning out there. We didn't do it. It was like cars and coffee. They do it every month. But, but there was a guy that was walking his ferret. So it just came to mind. Anyways, it's neither here nor there. Really got to hop into this message. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so if you have any questions or I, uh, anything about the mask mandates and that kind of stuff, just let us know. We'd love to talk it through. And actually, if you're new to the church, I realize that there's quite a few people that have joined the church during the pandemic. Uh, you're, maybe you're watching online, or that camera, you're watching online, or, or you're in person and you're newer to the church. Natalie and I would love to grab coffee. Or if you don't like me, you can grab coffee with Natalie. All right, or anybody else on the team, we'd love to hear your story because it's easy to um, dismiss someone until you learn their name and their story, and then you get it a little more. And so what we want to create here in the church is a, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. In other words, a diverse church. And the thing with diversity, people say, yes, amen, I want a diverse church. But you know what that means practically? Diversity means practically that you're going to intentionally sit across the table from someone that disagrees with you that is different than you, that thinks maybe some of your ideas are off, and you think the same about them. See, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we've talked about this before, he never prayed for our sameness. He didn't say, you know, Father, I, I pray that, that my disciples would all think the same way. He prayed for their oneness in the midst of diversity. He said, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And that's the same thing. We can disagree on a lot of things, and you know, a ton of things on really everything. On We couldn't agree on what restaurant to go out to for lunch. We couldn't agree on what movie to watch on Netflix. Sometimes it takes longer to pick out a movie than it is to actually watch a movie, right? So we couldn't agree on any of that. What makes you think we're going to agree on important issues like vaccines and racism and, you know, all that kind of stuff? So we're going to do our best. You're going to do your best. I'm going to do my best. We as a church are going to do our best to follow God. And it's okay if we land in different places as long as we do it in love. All right? We don't need to throw stones. Anyways, okay. Now we're really going to hop in. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28, in your Bible, it might be called the triumphal entry. Triumphal entry. I've always kind of retitled this in my Bible. I've crossed out triumphal entry, and I've always titled this return of the king. I think it just sounds cooler, uh, personally, and it's, it's Jesus going into uh, Jerusalem. Now, what you got to understand is this is the Sunday before Easter. This is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate Palm Sunday. Not today, literally. I know what day it is. But in, the, in biblical times, it's the Sunday before Passover. It's it's, it's lamb choosing day is what they would call it. It's lamb choosing. This is when each family would pick out the lamb they would sacrifice the following week for Passover in hopes and remembrance that we haven't forgotten the promise God gave us to, through our father Abraham years ago that one day he'd send the ultimate lamb to make the sacrifice for us. And so they would choose the lamb, the perfect spot, the, the best lamb they could afford to sacrifice the following week. And this is the day that the Father chose Jesus officially to be the sacrificial lamb for us. And so we dive in. Verse uh, 28, it says, after telling this story, we're going to read a lot of Bible today, just FYI. Some of you guys here knew the church. Uh, yeah, I talk this fast. We're going to talk this fast this whole time because we have a lot of stuff to cover. Okay, uh, verse 20. After telling this story, he just told a story about the ten, uh, ten servants, right? After telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. So Jesus is focused. I remember growing up, and um, my dad was a very fast walker. He's not a tall man, but he's a fast man, right? So I remember always trying to be like double time to keep up with my dad. And now today, I think I feel like the older I'm getting, the more I'm becoming like my dad in a lot of ways. It's really kind of strange. 
uh, how it's happening. I don't know if you guys are feeling this in your own life, but one of the things my dad does is walk fast, and I, I walk fast everywhere. Even if I have nowhere to go, I can be on vacation and have nowhere to be, but I'll walk fast and be in a hurry for no reason. I don't understand it. I don't like the way I am sometimes, but I'm consistently 10 feet, 10 feet I think is fair, 10 feet ahead of Natalie at all times. And there's times where she's going, slow down. Like I am going, I feel like I'm in slow motion and I'm still 10 feet ahead. So anyways, if that's you too, uh, we'll, we'll start a small group. We'll pray together. So Jesus was walking ahead of his disciples. He told the story. He's like, all right, guys. So you can see, like, the disciples talking, hanging out, kind of cutting up after church in a sense. And Jesus is, he just ditches them. He's like, all right, let's do this. Here's what's important. Jesus is going into Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Hell on earth, right? All sorts of negative things are going to happen. All, the end of all things is about to happen for Jesus on this earth. Yet he's walking confidently, fast, into it. He's not ashamed. He's not, he probably is fearful in some ways. We see that later in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he is not hesitant. He's not waiting. The disciples aren't, gonna, aren't going, come on, Jesus, remember we got to go to Jerusalem. He's walking ahead into pain, into discomfort, to follow the mission God has for him. That's important to notice. See, so he ditches disciples, walking ahead of the disciples. Verse 29, as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey or a young colt tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Interesting. We'll kind of backtrack and talk through this a little bit. He says, if anyone asks, why are you untying my colt? Why are you taking my donkey? Just say, the Lord needs it. All right? So they went and found a colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked him, as you would, uh, why are you untying that colt? That's not yours. And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. A little context. The Mount of Olives. Have you guys ever been to Jerusalem? Anybody? Jerusalem, you know, the, the Dome of the Rock, you got like the big gold, thing, that recognizable structure in, it, in, in Jerusalem. Outside of that is the Mount of Olives. It's a high point. And then you walk down this steep decline to go up to uh, the, the city steps into Jerusalem. So this is, is like this. If this, was, if this was like a, if you're driving up the PCH, this would have a little sign saying Kodak moment, pull over here, scenic vista. Okay, this is one of those kind of moments. All sorts of selfies happening at the Mount of Olives. That's kind of the, 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 the jam. The cult, Jesus essentially says, hey, go to this town, either Bethany or Bethphage, one of those two towns. Go to the town over there, and you're going to see a donkey, a colt. Go ahead and just untie it. And if they ask you, if, you know, why are you doing this, just tell them the Lord needs it. How did Jesus know ahead of time that all of this would play out? It's not like he went on like enterprise.com and reserved a cult for that weekend, right? This is really important for us to highlight. Jesus knew about the cult. He knew it would be tied up. He knew that the people would ask about you know, why are you untying this and the Lord needs it? He knew that that would work because he foresaw it. Now, this is important. If he foresaw the cult and how that situation would pan out, he foresaw everything else that would happen in, in Jerusalem too. He foreknew all the darkness he was walking into, all the pain he'd walk into. See, faithfulness to God meant hardship for Jesus. See, Jesus would say, um, you want to be my disciple? 
do comfortable things. Don't push yourself past your limits. Be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Retire with a nice 401k. That's what Jesus said, right? But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Even if it goes against your career aspirations, even if it goes against up and to the right. See, we can equate following God with prosperity. I grew up in a church, man. If you are following God, you are hashtag blessed. Everything should go up and to the right. And if it's not going up and to the right, it's the enemy attacking you. So what's happening here then? Jesus' life is about to take a massive turn. And not only him, 11 of the 12 disciples are going to take a massive tur turn. All of them were executed for their beliefs. None of them had an easy time. None of them, I, I, when I was growing up in the church, I got this sense of if you, if you follow God your whole life, you're going to end up sitting on the front porch of this massive, like, land, and you have dogs running around and grandkids, and this is what following Jesus looks like. Hashtag blessed. And if that happens, that's amazing. But that's not the picture that we see. We see Paul talking about, man, I've known what it's like to have a lot. I've known what it's like to have little. I've known what it's like to be in the palace. I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like to be full. I know what it's like to be hungry. But I know what it's like to be faithful to God in all those circumstances. So following God may mean you're prosperous. And sometimes it won't. Sometimes following God means you get the promotion and we celebrate with you. And sometimes it means you don't. Sometimes following God means you, he tells you to change careers and you do. And it's like the best thing ever. And now you can buy the stuff you want to buy because it all worked out. And sometimes you change careers and it doesn't make more money but it's what faithfulness looks like. See, if we're honest, sometimes God heals. And he does. We pray for that every week. People that are going through things, we pray with you for God to heal you. But sometimes God doesn't heal. I don't know why. I don't know how God chooses when to do what. Sometimes God calms the storm. And sometimes he just says, I'm going to be with you in the middle of the storm. See, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. All of us, our, our main job, our, our number one mission as Christians is not, if you want to be a disciple, go to church for an hour once a week. If you want to do extra credit, man, join a small group. You want to be like varsity level? Volunteer. Like, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, if go into all the world, make disciples. Make disciples. Are you making disciples? That's a whole other sermon. Go to the world, make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that I will stick closer than a what? A brother. He doesn't say everything's going to go up into the right all the time, but he says that he'll be with you in the middle of this. Sometimes God will protect you, and sometimes God will be with you through it. That's biblical. So following God means that we trust that he knows what he's doing. Even when it makes no sense. A good chunk of you following Jesus is not going to make sense. I'm not saying he's going to say, thus saith the Lord, go to Diamond Jamboree and start barking like a dog. Okay, I'm not talking like that kind of weird not making any sense. But there are times where he's going to go, support this person. Sell this and give it to this. 
a lot of times it won't make any sense. A lot of times it does, but a lot of times it, it doesn't. Can I, can I be totally honest? Some of us who have a hard time and do have a hard time being faithful to God because what we want is comfort. Some of us have a really hard time being faithful to God because comfort is too important. And we'll follow God until it becomes uncomfortable. God, I'll follow you. It's almost like Peter going, I'll do anything. I'll die for you until it gets real. And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't know, right? Some of us will say, I'll follow, God, I'll follow you all the way. I'll follow you no matter what you want me to do. Wait, you want me to show up at what time to help? Yeah, it's my day off, man. I'll follow, God, I'll do anything for you. Wait, small groups seven miles away? You know, with traffic on a Tuesday night, that's like 30 minutes. I can't. I can't. Isn't that crazy to think about? So some of us are going to have a hard time being faithful to God because comfort is too highly important to us. You can never follow God if your main concern is comfort. Some of us have a hard time following being faithful to God because success is too important. And sometimes you need to go against the culture of your organization in order to do what God is asking you to do, and that may mean you're the one that gets looked over for the promotion. Look, a lot of times following God will bring success. I firmly believe that. Always a new, I, I'm a, I love leadership books. I love all that self-improvement kind of books. But here's the thing. All these new ideas, they're Bible ideas. What? Value people? What? Bring out the best in people? Find out their dreams? Learn their stories? Learn Mind-blowing. Work hard? This is mind-blowing tactics. This is biblical. It's thousands of years old. So a lot of times, Following God will bring, if you do your business, if you lead, if you live your life, if you spend your money in biblical ways, you will have success. But there will be times when, like a Peter who's a fisherman, Jesus will say, follow me. And Peter's going to go, uh, what about my business, though? Peter was married. You know where that? Peter was married. Don't know if he had kids, but he was married. He had all sorts of questions. Okay, what's the, like, the compensation plan for this? Jesus said, just follow me. Work it out. Just follow me. Some of us are so focused on success that it's hard to be faithful to God. Some of us, we have a hard time being faithful to God because people's opinions are too important to us. Right? I want to follow God until, gosh, that'll make me look dumb in front of them if I do that. Man, my, my parents, my friends, they're not going to understand if I do that. I'm not going to, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to rock the boat. Paul would later write in Galatians chapter 1, he said that if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That you can't do both all the time. You've got to be faithful to God. And so then you, we read on, you have the owners of the cult, which I think is so wild, where the owners of the cult just go, all right, take the cult. That's weird, right? That's weird, right? We'll talk about that in a second. What's important about the cult Three main things, just so you know, kind of biblically why that's important. One thing, there were a few Old Testament prophecies hundreds of years earlier that said that the Messiah would ride in on a colt or a donkey into Jerusalem. So that was one thing. Any good Jew would know what is happening here. Second thing is commandeering a beast of burden was the prerogative of a king, of a ruler, right? So a king could go and go, I want your donkey. You just go, okay. This is why, if you guys remember the Old, Old Testament, if you guys are familiar with it, David, uh, goes to, I think, the son of Aruna and says, I, I want this plot of land. I want to buy this plot of land and create an altar to the Lord. And the, he goes, it's yours. 
And then he says the key line, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. You guys know that passage? The reason why he was going to offer that land to David was he had king's prerogative over the land. He had to give, it wasn't, he wasn't being kind, it was the king's land. He just happened to lease it from the king in a sense. But ultimately the king, the land was the king's. Same thing. So commandeering a beast of burden was a king's prerogative. And that's why the, the passage says he called him uh, a king later. Third thing that's really important is in the Old Testament, an unridden or an unbroken donkey or a colt is sacred. So you'll see throughout like, a, a sacrifice that was unbroken or unridden was a holier, a sacred sacrifice. And so those things combined, the people around would know, oh, I know what's happening here. This is messianic. This is fulfilling prophecy. What's wild is as you follow God, as you do the things God told you to do, this shows that God will provide what you need along the way. I, I think of the, I could tell hundreds of, Lily, I can stay here all day, and we could share stories of how Voice Church is here because of the faithfulness of somebody else. As God, we, we started with an idea, and then God provided, provided, provided. And so many people sitting in this room and watching online, you were the source of that. You got to realize this. Every time God sends you, he will provide for you. But every time God provides for you, every answered prayer is on the other side of someone saying yes to God. If you say, I'm going to start a, you know, a production company, we're going to do faith-based movie projects, right? And please do that. Make good ones, right? Without like Kirk Cameron in them, right? So, but if say you're going to do that, you have a heart for film, you can actually, you don't have to just have a heart for film, you actually do good films, Right? If, if you like to do something and people enjoy it when you do those things, that could be a career. If you like to do something and people don't enjoy it, that's a hobby. All right? So if you, have a, if you like to do things and, you, and people enjoy it when you do those things and you want to create maybe a film project, right? But the, you need connections. Hollywood's all about connections. Well, God will provide the right person. But here's the thing. That person that's going to connect you with the right person, that's going to connect you with the right person, that person, if God wakes them up at 2 in the morning and they're going, I really feel like I'm supposed to connect this person to this person. In that moment, that person has to go, all right, God, I'll do it. I'll, I'll cash in some chips to make this connection. They have to say yes in order for God to answer your prayer. So sometimes when you go, God will, use, or God will provide an answer to prayer. Other times, God will use you to provide for other people right? Every single chord, every single music stand, the fact that we're in this facility, the people playing with your kids over there, they're all background checked, they're, they're good, uh, said yes to God, said yes, embraced inconvenience, embraced mission to move this thing forward. And the same thing will happen for you. Sometimes others will provide for you, sometimes you'll provide for others. Okay, going forward. What is the context of them going into Jerusalem? Just so you understand a little bit of backstory. In, Luke, in John chapter 11, verse 57, the Gospel of John says it this way. It says, Meanwhile, during this time, the leading priests and the Pharisees, so the religious leader, leaders of the day, had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. This is neighborhood watch going on. Anybody that sees Jesus, let us know. You have to let us know. Why? To arrest him. We're going to take him down. Now realize, it's dangerous to be in Jerusalem during Passover. Hundreds have been killed throughout the years because they spoke out 
during Passover in Jerusalem. This is not a good time to be there. So what does Jesus do? It's dangerous. I'm not sure if what Jesus did was brilliant or if it was defiant or it was a mix of both. But here's what I do know it was. It was focused. It was focused on the mission because he hops on his donkey, rides into town with a crowd celebrating around him so that they can't arrest him right then. I don't know if it's brilliant or if it's just defiant or both, but it was focused. He didn't sit back and go, you know what? Sometimes we make bad decisions and we attach God's name to it to make it sound spiritual, right? Go, man, I just don't have a good feeling about this. Jesus, if it was any of us, I think a lot of us would go, you know, why don't we just wait for things to settle down? Maybe let's revisit this in a month. Let's keep it on the table. Let's keep talking about it. But man, me and the elders are feeling like this may not be a wise time to do this. I mean, they're looking out for us. People are getting murdered. Let's just wait. What does Jesus do? What are you guys waiting for? Let's go. Let's go. Of course. Jesus in other times would say, a prophet cannot die except outside Jerusalem. He's like, he knows full well what he's walking into. So it says, verse 36, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles, wonderful, wonderful miracles they had seen. And they, this is what they were saying. Blessings on the king, capital K, king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, hey, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Come on, man, they can't say that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So everyone starts cheering, laying down their garments so that Jesus and his donkey could walk on it. At first, the Pharisees were okay with it. All right, celebrating, whatever. Then all of a sudden, they start talking in messianic ways. They start saying, oh, king? The one, the king that, that God sent? Are you saying this is the Messiah? That's blasphemy. That's, that's death penalty kind of stuff. That's the stuff that people say during Passover in Jerusalem, and you die, right? So they wouldn't put up with that. They're like, hey, Jesus, rebuke them. And Jesus goes, come on, man. Everyone knows what's happening here. If they stop, the stones will cry out. What does that mean? Does he think the stones are literally going to become like the stones in, uh, what's that one movie? Frozen, where they start like singing and dancing. It's not going to become a musical with rock singing. Here, this isn't Fraggle Rock. All right, so what, what's going to happen, he talks about this idea that creation is connected with the gospel story in some way, right? In, in Romans, Paul writes later, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. What this is talking about is when the fall happened, it wasn't just humanity that was broken. Creation broke along with it. And now as Jesus is coming close to the end, creation is leaning in. This is happening. This is like you are watching your football game, and it's like your team's in the red zone. You're down by four. If they push this thing through, it changes everything. You're not sitting back. You're leaning in. You can't even contain yourself. And if your team wins or loses, you're going to burst out in some sort of expression of emotion and potentially 
colorful language, right? Depending on what happens. This is what Jesus is saying. Creation is leaning in to this moment because they know the significance of it, that there's some sort of connectedness between us and the rest of creation. See, I, I, think, I think taking care of the earth is a spiritual matter. It really is. It's a stewardship issue. Going back to original intent, when God created, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created all of the things, right? Said it was good, it was good, it was good. Mosquitoes, for some reason, were good. He created everything. And then he created us, and then he handed us the keys. That he created, I, I look at creation as putting together a surprise 40th birthday party. And surprise, it was all for you. Creation was for us. And then he said, steward it. Take care of it. Don't use and abuse it. Steward it. And anytime you have to steward something, you'll be held accountable for it. Anytime you have a responsibility, there always comes accountability. Right? So, how can we destroy God's creation and claim to be good stewards? If I'm watching your house for a week while you're gone, and I trash your house, I can't say I love you if I'm trashing your house. It's the same thing. And here's the thing. I'm not saying let's all go hug trees and watch Fern Gully. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, all right? I'm not saying weep with the rainforest today. That's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But here, we know this to be true. Whether you're an outdoorsy person or not, whether you like to camp in a tent or you like to camp at the JW, all right, and go visit Joshua Tree and then go back to your nice hotel, right, with the Egyptian sheets, okay? Whatever, you know, when you go out to nature, when you're on a sailboat, when you're looking at the Grand Canyon, when you're hiking through Mirror Woods, there's something refueling there. It's a spiritual thing. It's like your battery is being recharged. Now imagine going to whatever your spot is. Right? I love anything along the 395. I like Lone Pine and all that. That's kind of my happy place, as long as it's not windy, which it tends to be kind of windy. But when you go to your place, maybe it's the Grand Canyon, maybe it's the beach, like Natalie loves the beach, right? Now imagine you go back there, and it's full of trash, right? And some of you guys have experienced this. You go back to your old childhood spot, and you're like, there's graffiti all over these walls. and It feels different, doesn't it? It feels almost sad. It's like the energy is drained out of it. What is that? What is that? Maybe, maybe there's some spiritual connectedness to that place. Maybe there's something deeper going on that one day we'll understand more fully. So, I'm not saying you should all like reduce, reuse, and recycle. I think you should, but it's not, it's more about that. It's about being faithful to our original responsibility. And re recognizing our connectedness as part of creation. That's neither here nor there. But I thought that was really important for us to say, because there's almost this idea that if you're a Christian, then you can like you don't have to care about the environment. That's not true. That's not true. I think it's, it's a very spiritual thing to steward what God asks us to steward. So he continues, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish, Jesus' words, how I wish that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts around your walls, or against your walls, and encircle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Real Hallmark card moment here Jesus is giving them. 
Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. When Jesus said, when it says that Jesus is, is weeping, more accurate translation means wailing. Modern vernacular, ugly cry. This is what, what's crazy is, in contrast to the celebration, they're singing songs to him, and he is ugly crying. Why? Because his heart's broken. His heart's broken. Because Jesus doesn't see a city. He sees people. And we believe the same thing. We say all the time around here, you can't build a church, you can build people. That it, the, the issues that we fight about, they aren't issues to be solved, they're people to be loved. There's a big difference. That person that you're ticked off at because they write stupid stuff on Facebook, and granted, some of the stuff they're writing probably is stupid. But you know what? Ask why. Ask them. Don't get an argument. If nothing else, you'll have a fascinating story to hear. But ask them, why do you, th I've never heard. The crazier it is, the better this question is. When someone says like, oh, I believe we came from UFOs. and Okay, then you can say, fascinating. I've never actually heard about that. I've never even thought about that before. Why do you think that way? And you can learn story. So Jesus sees the people in Jerusalem and he's, remember, vantage point over Jerusalem. And he weeps. The reason why he said that, I, how I wish that uh, you of all people would understand the way to peace. Salem, if you guys know Arabic, or it means peace. The city of peace. Jerusalem means the city of peace, right? You say, Salem alaikum, like, peace be unto you, right? So, Salem means peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. So, if any city were to know peace, it would be the city of peace with the prince of peace at the door. And yet they don't. Yet they missed it. A few decades later in 66, there's a three or four year attack where Rome circled Jerusalem. You can, Masada and that whole thing happened. It's a pretty crazy thing where exactly what Jesus said happened. What, what Jesus is talking about, the, the ramparts and circling, kind of a siege tactics, those are typical Roman siege tactics. And that's exactly what happened a few decades later. So it came true, but I think what Jesus is talking about is something larger. He's talking about something more permanent. He's talking about something more eternal. I think it was a very much a double-edged sword what he was talking about in this prophecy. He's weeping because there's these people that he loves that refuse to accept him. That instead of choosing Jesus, they choose their brokenness. That they're looking for peace and all these different things. And they make an enemy of the source of peace. And so we're going to end with this idea. I believe just as, as Jesus was weeping, standing at the gates, essentially, of the city of Jerusalem, I think the same thing is happening today. Where Jesus is standing at the door of your life. The Prince of Peace. The Source of Life. The Author of all things good. The Messiah. And so have you trusted him? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm asking if you tithe, if you serve. That's secondary stuff. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Like, really? Have you surrendered to him? And maybe you're someone that has kind of danced around the idea, right? Where you've, you're like, I go to church. I didn't used to go to church. And you've kind of gotten closer, and you're like, maybe I'm a Christian. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. But you've never made a defining moment, a, a line in the sand, saying, I surrender my heart to God. To go from even churchgoer to follower of Jesus, it's a big difference. It's a big difference.
Have you looked for peace in other things? Have you looked for peace in material things that you can buy? Have you looked for peace in relationships? Have you looked for peace in success? And if you have, how's that working out for you? Those things aren't bad. They're just not the source of peace. You can have a bunch of stuff and a shallow heart. You can have a bunch of success and an empty soul. Right? So in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to end with this verse. Uh, Jesus says, this is the last book of the Bible. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about the door of your heart. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You guys ever heard that verse before? A lot of times you use it in kids' ministry, right? But do you know the context of this verse? Let me read the three verses before it. Jesus saying, you say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You say you have everything. But I mean, like my dad used to say growing up, he said, all the paint in the world can't straighten a crooked fence. It's the same thing. You can dress it up however you want. But you know what's going on inside. The people outside see your, see your Instagram. People outside see what the, the appearance that you put out there in person and online. But you know what's really going on in here. And then he, his advice wasn't, so be ashamed of yourself. Condemnation, guilt, it's not where Jesus goes. He says, look, let's just be clear. You say you're rich and I don't need anything. But here, here's reality. You're miserable and poor and wretched and blind and naked. But you're good at faking it. But then he says, so I advise you, buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified in the fire. In other words, let me show you some worthwhile things to invest into. Let me show you that when you invest into eternal things, pure things, you may be able to buy less of the stuff you want. You're going to feel different. Let me buy gold for me. Purify the fire. Then he says, then you'll be rich, like really rich. And he says, also buy white garments for me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness. He says, look, man, you, you've been living with shame and guilt and going over the skeletons in your closets and the regret for too long. You can't cover those things up. You can't whitewash those things. They'll always be there. And when the bottle goes away, when the high wears off, when the relationship gets old, whatever the thing is, that shame is still there. That regret, that guilt is still there. All those questions are still there. So let me give you white garments to actually live from a pure heart. Then he says, an ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. What he's saying is, you can't see right. You got some sort of scar tissue over your eyes that's blurring your vision because of past pain, because of anger, because you're protecting yourself, because you've been hurt before, because of materialism, because of shame and regret. But there's things that color everything that you'll preemptively get mad in relationships. You don't know why you get that way. It's because you're looking through scar tissue and it covers every relationship in your life. 
You see through that hurt. You see through the pain. And he's saying, let me give you ointment. Let's get that out of there so you can see clearly. They're not out to get you. You can trust them. This is a safe place. Here's my challenge to you. Let them in. Let them in. So it ends that passage then saying, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. This is the context of the gospel. The gospel isn't serve Jesus and your life will be terrible. Serve Jesus and you got to do all these hard things. He will ask you to do hard things. But what it comes down to is relationship with God. We'll, have, we'll share a meal together as friends. And what God wants more than anything is relationship. The gospel, we talked about this before, but if you're new to the church, it's important for you to understand. The gospel isn't that Jesus died on the cross for you to go to heaven. Okay, some of you guys are like, uh, heresy. No, no. The gospel is that sin separated us from God, broke the relationship. And because of Jesus, we have a path back to relationship with God. Yes, on the other side of eternity when we take our last breath, but also for here, for now, today, that Jesus walks with you, that Jesus is in the middle of everything you're going through. The goal, the gospel, is that you're friends with God, that God shouldn't even know your name. He shouldn't know my name, but yet he calls us friend. That's the gospel. We get to live with God every day. The moments you feel alone, the moments you need wisdom, the moment you're going, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to do. God's there with you. In the good times and the bad. So with that, let me pray uh, for you. Um, and then we'll sing this one last song uh, to close out, all right? God, we just thank you that you are good, that you are faithful. God, thank you. Uh, if there's anything that I said today that was um, condemning in any, any way, condescending in any way, man, it's not the tone I wanted to come across. God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are good and you're worth following. God, I pray that we would follow you through discomfort, through pain, even the times where it doesn't make any sense. Just like you were focused and you walked into Jerusalem knowing full well what you were walking into, God, would we walk into seasons of discomfort too in order to be faithful to what you've asked us to do because there's a bigger story that we're a part of that even though it doesn't make any sense, that one day it will make sense. And we want to make a difference in the world. We want to make a difference in this world, God. We don't want to just pursue comfort and success and applause. We want to make a difference in this world in the unglamorous moments too. We love you, God. In Jesus' name.